0: guys thanks so much for joining us again hope that you are safe and well so i had the best time talking to this week's guest it's actor steve sharipa he played one of my favorite characters on the sopranos namely bobby Bacala baccalieri he was the big-hearted wise guy uncle junior's caretaker who later married tony soprano's sister janice now, Mr. Sharipa and Michael Imperioli, who played Christopher Maltisante on the show, just launched a podcast called Talking Sopranos. They are re-watching the entire series with us. They're giving episode-by-episode analysis, anecdotes, conversations with guests, you name it. It's the perfect companion for us Soprano fans who are homebound right now. And an added bonus in the U.S. is that HBO has made The Sopranos available for free. Steve Sharippa has been acting steadily since The Sopranos. For the last few years, he's starred on the CBS procedural Blue Bloods but it's his role as Bobby Bacala that was his major breakthrough. He hadn't acted much prior to this. Before that, he was actually the entertainment director at the Riviera Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. He dabbled a bit in acting as a hobby, like as an uncredited extra in Martin Scorsese's Casino. But it was how he brought Bobby Bacala to life, that very unusual, kind mobster in one of the very best TV dramas ever. In our conversation, he takes us back to what it was like filming that very first scene with the great James Gandolfini and the rest of the crew, how Bobby changed over the arc of the series, creator David Chase's attention to detail, and how real-life mobsters like to keep up with current affairs, and how he found out about Bobby's untimely death. But before we get started, by now you probably know about the Pop Culture Confidential membership program, Pop Culture Confidential Premium. It's a monthly or yearly subscription that gives you added bonuses and continued ad-free versions of the show. And your support is really important to us to help continue with the work. So check that out on popcultureconfidential.supportingcast.fm. Now, I'm thrilled to bring you Mr. Steve Sharippa, talking to me from his home in New York City. So, Mr. Sharippa, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Oh, my pleasure.
0: So, first of all, how are you in New York City? Is everyone safe, you and yours?
1: Yeah, yeah, everything's okay. You know, it's tough here. A lot of people, uh, it's, it's, it's not good, and we're close together. You know, I live in a building in uh but we're doing what, what we're supposed to, and hopefully everyone else is, and uh, let's hope for the best. And uh, so we're here, and uh, we go out an hour a day, take a walk, and my younger daughter does the shopping for us, and basically we're in, and we've been busy with the podcast, and uh, it's a shame. I have some friends, a couple friends that passed away, a couple friends that- uh oh, I'm sorry. That's sick, yeah. So it's-, it's Very serious. I know the rest of the country, I don't think, kind of, maybe they do, some do, how bad it is here, you know. But we're on top of each other. It's different. You know, you're spread out other places.
0: Well, it's impacted your work as well, because I know that you and Michael, you guys were going to do the podcast together, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, originally, well, first of all, I'm shooting Blue Bloods. I'm on that show. So we got shut down. Production got shut down on uh, March 13th uh we were supposed to believe it or not yesterday would have been the day we wrapped so I kind of got stuck here and uh Michael was supposed to come in and we were going to do it together in the studio that's our gameplay we've been working on this podcast for six months and we were a little reluctant to do it with what's going on in the world and uh at first we said no I mean What's the big deal? A TV show and and this horror that's going on, it's not very important on the big scale of things. And then we heard from a lot of fans and people saying, you know, we need the diversion. We're re-watching The Sopranos. Uh, So we decided to do it and uh, started to rewatch. I haven't watched the show in 20 years.
0: Thank you for doing it. We really do need this. In the scope of things, sure, it's a TV show, but this is exactly what we need. But tell me what it's like to rewatch all these episodes again after 20 years.
1: Well, you know, I wasn't in the first season. I came on the second episode of the second season. So for me, I have a lot of questions. You know, it's sad. You know, you're watching Jim and and, and some people aren't with us anymore. Uh, I asked Michael in this first season a lot of questions because he was there from day one. So he, and he was a writer. He wrote five of them. So he's got it all down. So I watch, I'm watching this first season as a fan, you know. uh,
0: Is it as good?
1: Oh, absolutely. 20 years later. I mean, they shot this in, they shot the pilot in 97. It's 23 years ago. Uh, They started filming in 98, 10 months later. And it didn't hit the air until like January of 99. So, you know, it holds up every bit, you know. Uh, The acting is just fantastic. You know, you're meeting all the characters for the first time. Uh, I'm enjoying it. You know, I watch the episode. I take notes. I watch it sometimes twice. So I uh, get a real feel for it. It's been so long.
0: There's so many great stories and anecdotes that you guys are telling. I get the impression that David Chase and and, and the whole gang, they put together a group of guys. A lot of you knew each other from before.
1: Oh, Michael did. I didn't know. I was living in Las Vegas and I had a full-time job. You know, I, I was the entertainment director at the Riviera Hotel. I was actually on the other side. I was booking acts and I was dabbling in the acting. I had started in... I don't know, 93 or 94, but it was just a hobby. You know, I enjoyed it. And then I started getting some stuff, you know, uh, going out and auditioning in Vegas and LA, and I was getting some stuff. When I auditioned for The Sopranos, I came here to New York City for a wedding, and uh, I didn't know anyone. I had only auditioned one other time in New York, and I knew no one. All, whatever work I did, a little bit, but, you know, there was things. It was all from LA, you know, and I had worked in Toronto, but I never, I didn't know any of these guys. I left New York City and uh, I grew up in Brooklyn, but I left in like 1979. I didn't know any of these guys at all. So I tell people when I finally shot my first scene, it was with, uh, which is Baptism by Fire, it was with Tony, Silvio, Paulie, and Big Pussy. And I was the guy it, what Tony was yelling at the minute I finished the scene, it was like I was part of the gang, you know, I was part of the club and, uh, and that was good. But I think about it now I was so naive. I think, I think I would have been, I didn't know what was at stake. I think I would have been much, uh, much scared. I wasn't that scared for some reason.
0: Bobby is a difficult character. He's a very sensitive character. There's a lot of things that happens to him. You have some incredibly emotional scenes. Yeah. That your wife dies. Did you know that you were this good? I mean, you were not an actor.
1: Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know. And when I first got it, you know, got the script, there was all these fat jokes that Tony says, and I, I'm going. I mean, I told my wife, I said, I'm reading this thing. I said, there's, I'm not much fatter than him, you know, uh, in real life. I said, so I'm not getting the jokes. Maybe they, I'm honestly saying maybe they hired the wrong guy, you know, maybe they made a mistake. And then I got the call that I needed a fat suit, you know, and so I got fitted for a fat suit season two and three. And then I was working, I was working with someone in Vegas. I never went to acting class. I worked with a guy who would come into my office, a beautiful guy named Ray Favaro, who was a huge help to me at the time. He was a casting acting coach in Las Vegas, and he helped me. And then when I got to New York, uh, it was kind of, you know, on the job. Uh, You know, I worked with. Uh, another acting coach here for the entire run of The Sopranos. And he was a big help to me. Uh, a dirty little secret. A lot of actors don't like to admit to that. But Jim worked with someone the entire time. Jim Gandolfini, you know. So I worked very hard at it. And and there was times that I was had to do one of those scenes or, or, or I would go to his apartment and we would work on it. Yeah, 11 in the morning. And then by 2 p.m. I was on the set shooting that scene. So I worked very hard. It was uh it was not easy. I, but the writing was so good that makes it easier. There's nothing worse than trying to make a bad script and you have to make it sound believable. So you go, "Wait a minute. I have to make this sound real. How do I do that?" You know. So everything's elevated, right? The performances, these guys you're working with, Jim and Michael and and, and Paulie and everyone that I'm working with is so good and uh, the writing is so good. It certainly helps your level of performance, you know? Uh, But when, when, and I've done stuff that wasn't great, you know, scripts and you're going, wow, this is hard. I mean, that's even harder. Believe it or not, that's harder to make that sound real than a good, good stuff. You know, it's, if it's on the page, a lot of the work is done.
0: Yeah, this is exceptionally written. What did What did James Gandolfini teach you? Well, you know, uh,
1: it was on the job training. You know, Jim, when, when uh, you know, he was yelling at you. Tony was yelling at you. You know, you didn't have to act scared. You were scared. I mean, he was that real. He also was very generous. He was always worried if you were okay. You are okay? You want another take? How was that? You okay? You feel good? That kind of stuff. You know, uh, didn't give you he wouldn't go there and, and give you acting tips, you know, uh, even though maybe I would have wanted it, but, uh, you know, other actors don't do that. You know, you know, they, I don't meddle in somebody else. You know, like really, you're going to do it that way. You know, <laughs> that, that would not be it. But, you know, as the series went on, we worked together a lot, you know, once I married Janice and the spoilers are fine. Cause we're, we're assuming just about everyone who, listening to the podcast saw the show already, you know? So, and especially when I got to be part of the family, when Bobby was part of the family, he worked with Janice a lot and he worked with Tony a lot. So uh, that was just wonderful. And, and the last, the first episode of that last season when we were upstate and it was just myself, Edie, Jim, and Aida. And even then, and I had been working with them for years. I, I, even when I'm sitting at the table I remember at the Monopoly, you know, we play Monopoly and I'm going, I mean, this is just incredible. I'm here with these incredible actors. It's just the four of us for like two weeks. And uh this is pretty cool, you know. Times you go, this is pretty this is pretty damn good, you know.
0: Um you talk very interestingly about David Chase and that how should I put this that the devil is in the details with him that he was so good can you give some examples of that
1: well listen uh when there was candy in a candy dish it was certain kind of candy there's an episode coming up where there's someone staking out Tony in episode five he's eating fig newtons I don't know all the reasons for these things but they're not by accident they didn't just say get cookies and the prop guy got food. He fitting.
0: wanted that.
1: Absolutely. Uh, if there's a certain, what you're eating at the table, you know, if he says it's big ziti, it's big ziti. If he says it's, you know, uh, spaghetti, it's sp- spaghetti or lasagna. It's not like just get any macaroni dish. It is very specific. He has his reasons. That's the brilliance of this and the show. And when you look at it, there's so many subtle things in the show. You got to watch it more than once. It's so funny. It's could almost laugh out loud funny at times. And even in the darkest humor, like uh, in episode five, Jim's, Irina, Jim's Gamata, talks about her cousin, her prosthetic leg fell off and her husband or boyfriend picked her up like a, a she calls it a knight in white satin armor. That's hilarious in itself. And it's not funny that someone has a prosthetic leg, but it fell off. I mean the whole thing is makes, makes me laugh out loud, you know, and it's so smart funny, you know
0: The mobsters that that's so real that they talk about everything, they have conversations about everything, they know all this stuff, they talk about current events.
1: Oh um, yeah, they know everything they why they're mobsters, I don't know, course, they should be uh, the political analysts, chefs. I mean, they know sports. They know, if you ever sat down around them, they know everything about everything. I'm not saying they're always wrong, but, you know, and if you see in a lot of the episodes, especially early on, they're always reading a newspaper. They're always reading a newspaper. You know, they're at the bottom Bing, they're reading a newspaper. They're in the back of the bottom Bing. Current events, they're very up on current.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: Well, listen, there's a lot of downtime between their scams, Right. <laughs> So they have their family, most of them. And then they have their gomadas. Not all of them, but most of them. That's a Friday night. So they have their work, whatever that may be. And most of the day, uh, I believe, they're looking for ways to make money, you know? And then there's a lot of downtime. So between their meetings, they have lunches. They spend a lot of time together. It really is like a family because they probably would, their mom family more than they are with their their own family
0: well, there's a lot of worse things they can do than stay up current uh, uh, on <laughs> on on news and current events I'm, right I'm
1: sure out there now they have a lot to say about this virus, the cause of it. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. I can only imagine.
0: What did you learn about mobster history and culture and, and language and stuff doing this?
1: Well, there's some terms I didn't know. There was one, uh, and I talked to Michael about, I wed a guy. And I had never heard that. Uh, meaning, you know, I killed a guy, I shot a guy, and I I'd never heard that term. I don't want to say I grew up around the mob, but I grew up in a neighborhood in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, that in the 60s and 70s was a huge mob enclave, very big. It exists a little now, but back then it was an Italian American neighborhood and you didn't know who they were necessarily. They were, you know, your friends, uncles and fathers and grandfathers. And they were just guys in the neighborhood. You would see them every day, but then you would open the paper and say, wow, my little league coach, you know, is accused of killing three people. I didn't know that. So, I was around them, kind of, you know. uh,
0: And in Vegas, too, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, in Vegas, it was uh, like the movie Casino. The Joe Pesci character was a friend of mine, Tony Spalacho. And listen, I read all the things and I see all the things, but he couldn't have been nicer to me. Uh, He would always tip me. I was, at the time, uh, a bouncer in Paul Anker's club, and he would come in and always throw me a 20, and, we would small talk, and he had a son, and he was always very nice to me. And Vegas, they were around, but not like in New York. It was a different, different deal, and they were from Chicago and Detroit and Buffalo, New York City a little bit. But in Vegas in the eighties, you know, now you would have to really search to find mob guys. You know, they're probably retired out there, but. Uh...
0: How did Bobby change during the course of Sopranos?
1: You know, the funny thing is uh, no one ever told me anything, never. That Bobby's this, Bobby's that, Bobby's dumb, Bobby's whatever. I I just took it from what I, you know, the scripts and and the dialogue, how great it was. Bobby at the beginning just took care of Junior. He explains that he inherited Junior. His father, played by Burt Young, Bobby Sr., kind of had, went to Florida and was kind of retired. And he was Junior's housemaid, whatever you want to call it. Junior's guy the first season, Mikey Palmisi, was a killer. And he did Junior's dirty work, and he took care of Junior. Now here comes Bobby, who cooks and cleans and drives him and gets abused by him a lot, a lot of fat jokes, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, as the series goes on, I think season four he gets together with Janice and Bobby, you know, is he as dumb as they think? He does marry the boss's daughter. He's now having Sunday dinner with the sister, boss. Right? Uh, uh Sister. Uh, you know, he's married Janice, you know, uh, Tony's sister, who's crazy, 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 crazy. He needs someone to take care of his two kids, has a kid with her. Uh, he's sitting, you know, to the right of Tony at dinner at Sunday, so it's a whole different deal. So I don't know, was he as dumb? I don't know. He kind of, you see as it goes on, he knows what he knows. You know, he's a hunter. He helps him in the Pine Barrens. Uh, you know, he kind of knows what he knows. And, and uh, Tony, unfortunately, forces him to do this. One thing that he never wanted to do was to, to kill someone. But he had no choice. And I think Bobby's life would never be the same after that, you know.
0: And he managed to stay a long time by not doing that popping his cherries.
1: Absolutely. You know, I I think he says, you know, I've done stuff, you know, he's hit guys or given them beatings and stuff, but really wasn't him. He was the only guy not to have a girlfriend on the side. He truly loved his wife. And even during the Janice years, as crazy as and, and difficult she made his life, he still didn't have a girlfriend. You know, he still was loyal. He was a loyal guy, loyal to Junior, loyal to Tony, loyal to his wife, Janice, and loved the kids to death, you know. The
0: women are so incredible. You were mentioning Edie, you were mentioning Aida. I mean, both the actresses, but also the characters. What was your impression of the women of Sopranos?
1: You know, you see, especially early on, Carmela loves this life. She loves what the life brings her. She doesn't like the way Tony does it. She's religious. She, uh, but likes the big house, likes to show off the big house, likes the the new car, buy the kids whatever they want. So she's kind of torn by, I know my husband's doing bad things, but yet I play along with it. She knew what what he was doing, and yet she was a participant from from afar, you know. I think uh, Catherine Narducci character, Charmaine, she wants nothing to do with the mob. She tells Artie Buko, I don't want Tony's help. I don't want to be a part of this. You're being ridiculous. She's satisfied with what she has. The restaurant, let's go about our lives. We don't need that world. She never liked that mob world. Uh, Janice, later on, like I said, just crazy manipulative, crazy.
0: Her mother's daughter, right?
1: Certainly a touch of Livia. Oh, by all means, you know and manipulates everyone, every set of the way. Probably could have been a mob boss. And I always thought, I always kind of thought at the end, because I didn't know the ending until close to the very end, uh, I always thought that somehow maybe she was going to kill Tony and take over, that her her and Bobby would be the boss, you know. (laughs) I always kind of had that in my head. I, I think when you see Andrea Matteo as uh, Adriana, she's a gun mall through and through, almost from the beginning. You know, she plays, she's a host in the pilot. And then after that, she's with Christopher. She's a tough Jersey gun mall. You know what I mean? Uh, later on, we all feel bad for her because she's a snitch, but she was a participant, you know? Uh, I think Meadow who's strong right from the beginning, Tony's daughter, very smart in high school. Uh, She asked her dad, are you in the mafia? She's strong. Uh, She kind of streetwise for a kid that grew up very privileged. And as she gets older, uh, you know, I think she becomes an attorney uh, uh, and uh, becomes a very strong a woman, you know?
0: And Dr. Melfi, she knows what's going
1: on. Oh, she's known for the minute he walked in. It was Cusimano, the, right. the doctor next door who recommended it. At first, I wasn't sure that Cusimano, the next door neighbor and his doctor certainly told, you know, and that's another thing, you know, people always knock the Italian Americans, you make the Italians look bad. Hey, Melfi was Italian. Jennifer Melfi was a very intelligent, successful businesswoman you know, a therapist and uh, she was Italian and there was other, you know, Italian prosecutors and lawyers and, and uh, no one ever mentioned that stuff. You know, it's just uh, the bad guys the bad guys, but Melfi, she knows, but she bought into it too. Why? Why didn't she run? Why'd she get involved? Maybe it was fascinating to her, this powerful mob guy with these problems.
0: Tell me a little bit about um, a typical episode. Did you have a table read? How long did it take you to film an episode?
1: Uh, well, you would have a table read uh, every episode. You know, I remember going to the first one, uh, which I, it was the first one I had ever gone to. I remember calling a few actor friends, say, what, what goes on here? And what it would be is a, it was a big table. And of course, depending how many, cast members, and even if you had one line, you would go around the table, uh, all the writers were there, the producers, David Chase would start it, say, I'm David Chase, the creator, and go around the table and say, I'm Steve Scharippa, I play Bobby Bacala, and you would read it from front to back, with you wouldn't, wouldn't stop, straight through, and they took notes, uh, the writers, and David, uh, and you would do it, I'm not saying 100% acted out, but certainly 85 to 90%. That was what's helping them. And they would make changes not that often, but you would get the next day, sometimes they would change a few lines here and there, you know? And that was good. You know, there was always a lot of food there, of course, <laughs> nice. right? like everything we did. Always a lot of food before time. And don't forget, a lot of times you didn't work with these people. So you got to know them through the read through. I mean, I never worked with Lorraine Bracco, as did a lot of the cast, you know. So you would see people, sometimes you wouldn't see them for a month. And you would catch them at the read through, you know. The episodes I think when I started, I want to say they were nine or ten days. And it got to the end. I think it took nine months to do nine episodes. You know, it was seventeen, eighteen working days. Mostly most of the time, early on, 16-hour days.
0: Oh, wow.
1: So Jim, who was in, you know, most of the scenes, a lot of scenes, it was a lot of work, a lot, a lot of work. Uh, but as each season went on, we got, the episodes took more days. And it was HBO, and it was shot like a movie. And we also reshot shot stuff. If things didn't come out the way they were supposed to, they also recast people. You know, I would shoot a scene with someone, and then I would get a call, we need to shoot that scene again, you know, a month later. You go, what, did I do something wrong? Of course. and uh, No, no, no. For whatever reason, they changed that person. He looked too young or too old or whatever the reason was. So they had that luxury as opposed to now, a primetime show. You shoot a show, it's on three weeks, a month later. It's It's on the air, you know. They don't have that luxury or the budget to make those changes. So once they cast, you're stuck with it. Sometimes they would cast someone and, like I said, for whatever reason it didn't work out or they would change the script entirely. Uh, the scene would be some of the scene, but the, the the words would be different.
0: I have to ask you about Polly's wings because they seem to get bigger and bigger.
1: The wings. The wing over here, yes.
0: Oh, did he have those?
1: He had the wings from the pilot and they were small. They were about two inches.
0: But in real life Well, he's
1: had them. Oh, he's had them since. Oh yeah, he had the wings. That's it, that's his thing. He's got the wings now. <laughs> so uh we're gonna have a wingometer, and uh we talk about it. They're little in the pilot and as the season, as the seasons go on and the episodes go on, you'll see them getting bigger and bigger till the end. They are full-flown uh, Grandpa Monster Wings.
0: <laughs> it sounds like you guys had a great time together, all those Oh, years. yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. It was a lot of fun. And, the, you know, when when people asked, uh, you know, what you miss most about the show, of course, the great writing and, 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 you know, the stuff you get to do. But you miss the guys, you know. It was like going to work, you know, with your friends. You know, five, ten. Sometimes those big scenes where there was 20 guys. I mean, you're shooting that for 10 hours. It's a lot of fun, you know, uh, catching up with people and in between takes. And, you know, and we did a lot. You know, we, we traveled a lot together, the cast. We did a lot of appearances. We used to do a lot of casinos. Even now, myself, Michael, and Vinny Pastore do conversations with the Sopranos. A stage show, which... We went to Australia last May, and we just had a 16-city tour this May canceled in Europe. Oh, you know, uh, You know, we spent a lot of time together. So that's a big part that you miss. And we used to go to a lot of parties. Sprattles had a ton of parties, and premieres, and finales, and uh, we would travel to the Emmys. We were lucky enough to go to the Emmys five times, and the SAG Awards four or five times. So... You know, that was a lot of fun, you know.
0: When you do those Sopranos conversations, what do the fans, what's like the the biggest question that you get or the most frequent question?
1: Of course, it's, you know, what happened to the ending.
0: <laughs> I love the ending.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so my personal opinion, Tony Soprano's alive and well with his family in New Jersey. Uh, you know, hardly a day goes by someone doesn't mention it. This is 13 years later. And people are still talking about the show. A new generation of people are watching the show. Uh, uh, Kids in their 20s that were too young then. Uh, It's popular streaming. HBO Go. You know, back then there was 11 million people had HBO. Not that many.
0: Isn't that the thing that the show was really about family?
1: Oh, for sure. And I think that's what the Ducks are about, the Ducks and their family. And, and you know, Dominic Chianese used to say, this show's about a family. Tony could have been a plumber. You know what I mean? It's, uh, I don't know how many plumbers go out choking people on college visits, but.
0: Let's hope uh, not too many. Yeah.
1: But uh, it was about a family. Problems with his mother, his wife, the guys at work, his kids. They didn't care uh, that he was a mob boss. That meant nothing, you know?
0: You were mentioning that you never knew anything about the upcoming episode. Um, What about Bobby's death? When did you find out?
1: Bobby uh, died in the next to last episode, which was shot, believe it or not, on Valentine's Day, 2007. Mm -hmm. I found out I was hearing some rumblings. And then uh, David Chase, I was having coffee one morning, the cleaning lady was over and I got a call, hope for David and picked up my phone. And, uh, David said, where are you? I said, well, I'm at my apartment. He said, well, I'm on my way over. And I went, this is, you know, the CEO coming to your house, you know, you know, we got along just fine, but we didn't have that relationship. And I said, well, I got the cleaning lady. He said, no, no, I'll just be a few minutes. So I'll kind of, all right, let's see what this is about. And, uh, the doorman rang him up and he opened the door, and there he was. And he said, I guess you know why I'm here. It was kind of like the, a real hit, you know. <laughs> and I said, Come on in. And uh, I said, You want to take your coat off? It was, you know, it was in the winter. And he said, No, no. Uh, and we sat there.
0: Are you getting scared at this point?
1: Well, I mean, you know, we all kind of said, If you made it to the last nine, Whatever is good for the story, you know. But at that point, it's like, does it really matter, you know. Are you getting paid? And, you know, if this is it, you know, and that's okay. Uh, you know, if I would have got killed off early, that would have hurt. Not just that you were out of work and financially, but it was a – that would have really stung if, you, you you know, people that died, uh, got killed off early in the series, they missed out on a whole lot. And I think that would have been awful. But he vaguely told me what happened, what's going to happen, a eh, train stall, blah, blah, blah. It was kind of awkward. Then <laughs> I said, I hope you are happy with my work, and thank you for changing my life. That was it.
0: Oh, wow, but did he really make house calls to everyone who got knocked off?
1: I don't think so. I, when, I, when I told Jim and Michael and some of the guys, they said I should have been very flattered, which I was. I, I don't know if he just was in the neighborhood. I don't, you know, before that, before that you got a phone call or at the read through, he would say, blah, blah, blah. Can I talk to you for a second before or after? So as far as I know, I was the only one, I don't know, that he came to the house. But like I said, he might've been in the neighborhood. I don't
0: know. Yeah, but even so. I was so, very
1: excited. He told me in person.
0: So you've had a tremendous career after in TV and you're mentioning Blue Bloods and everything, but. How has Sopranos, does it still have an impact on you today?
1: Well, uh, yeah, well, of course. Uh, You know, first of all, while the show was going on, everybody wanted to see you. Mm -hmm. Everybody wanted to cast you, you know, if you weren't busy. I wrote, you know, I sold a book. I wound up writing six books, but I sold the book because of The Sopranos. It opened every door. I was a correspondent for Jay Leno. All because of The Sopranos. I did 40 episodes of uh, of uh, The Tonight Show, you know. Uh, all these doors opened. People wanted to be a part of it, wanted someone to be a part of their show. So there was a lot of work. Uh, I also knew that when this was over, it wasn't going to be easy. People want to put you in that mob box. You have a vowel on the end of your name. That's all you can play. You're that guy. I'm a big guy. My voice. That's it. Granted, I'm not going to play an English professor, but I certainly could play lawyers and doctors and judges and all kinds of things. Uh, I did get a job a great job. I was on a series called secret life of the American teenager with Molly Ringwall. And I got that, you know, six months after the show ended and I played just a suburban dad with a son. And that was great. Mm -hmm. And I did that for five years, 110 episodes. And I think that really helped me get away from the mob thing. If I would have went right back into the mob thing, I, I, I probably would have been dead, you know? Uh, and, and now so, on Blue
0: Bloods, you're on the, yeah, that's the right side of the law, so to
1: speak. I play cop. I've been on the show uh, since 2015. Uh, I've done over 75 episodes. I only did 53 Sopranos. It's a well-written show. Great cast. I love every minute of it. It shoots on the streets of New York. So, you know, uh, I get it. But I and, I and most mob stuff is terrible. You know, these mob movies, these beat movies, these D movies. And uh, most of it is never going to compare to The Sopranos. It's not going to be as good. So I'm not said that. If it was something great, don't get me wrong, but I've done the mob thing so many times.
0: Do you know anything about the prequel they're filming?
1: I do not. I I, I know just what everyone else knows in the paper. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be great. Alan Taylor's directing it. David wrote it. I, none of the cast is in it.
0: No, everyone's much younger. It's Jim's son playing Tony, and
1: that's plays gonna be- Tony, who we're going to have on the podcast. He wants to come on.
0: That's yeah. great. Can't so that'll be them.
1: great. Uh, and so, I can't imagine it be anything but great. You know, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it.
0: So I was wondering now at the end here if you would give us a little Easter bonus for all of us who are at home and cooking seems to have taken over our quarantine life. You're like a master.
1: That's what people think. I'm not, I don't cook.
0: (laughs) But you have the Italian, Uncle Steve's Italian specialty sauce. Yeah, well, we're out of
1: business, but we had a pasta sauce.
0: Well, maybe you can share like the best pasta sauce for a comfort meal for us. Well, listen, uh,
1: you know what's a really good sauce? Of course, Rayo's, if you do a job, but Paisano's. Paisano's is very similar to Uncle Steve's, which we were in 3,000 stores and we just grew too fast and whatever. But it was a lot of fun. It was a good ride. We had the best jar sauce. I'm telling you, if you didn't know it came out of a jar, you would never know. But Paisano's organic. If you could find that, it's great. Great, great, great sauce. Uh, my wife makes sauce now that we're out of business. I still have some Uncle Steve's. Uh, for Easter, my, we're going to make some pasta my wife will make. My daughter's making a ham. And, uh, you know, we go to the Italian Deli, which is open here in New York, and Mozzarella and soup and potato croquettes and rice balls. And we do all that stuff. and. Uh,
0: but you, do you prefer a red sauce?
1: I like red sauce unless it's linguine and clams then, or garlic and oil. My wife does the cooking. She's a really good cook.
0: So finally, tell us, how, when can we listen to how many times a week does the podcast come out?
1: It'll be, it'll be on uh, Mondays, uh, though the first two uh, we gave a little added bonus. It's doing fantastic. People seem to really like it. It's on uh, YouTube uh, and Apple and Spotify and anywhere, uh, any uh, way you get your podcasts. And it'll be once a week. That way people can catch up. And uh, we're, we're uh, doing them. Michael's in California. I'm here in New York. We have our makeshift. Uh, I know every celebrity now has a studio in the basement. I have a curtain in my living room. <laughs> And so uh, that's it. You know, uh, I'm looking forward to more. Uh, uh, we're having a lot of fun doing it. I hope the people like it and uh, tune in.
0: Well, I wish you the continued health and um, stay safe with your family there in New York. And, and Thank
1: you very much. And your family stay safe. And it was really nice talking to you.
0: Thank you so much to Mr. Steve Sharipa. You can subscribe to Talking Sopranos wherever you get your podcasts and get more information on Talkingsopranos.com. And thank you for listening. You can subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. And if you already are a member of PCC Premium, thanks for the support. If not, please check us out. Thank you so much for listening and stay safe.